Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Hi, if you missed the previous two weeks of this series, let me catch you up quickly with the story that we're looking at in Ivy's year of rebuilding, because we're looking in the Old Testament at a man called Nehemiah. He was a Jewish man who was living far from his homeland. He was a cupbearer, a servant to King Artaxerxes of Persia. He had quite a comfortable, safe life living in the palace, but one day he heard about how life was for some other people. He heard about the plight of his people nearly a thousand miles away and he was moved when he heard about their horrible situation because the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed and now raiders and robbers kept taking advantage of them because they had no protection they had no walls and no gates and his heart was breaking so he prayed and he fasted and he mourned and then he realized somebody has got to do something about this but rather than just sit there thinking that like we often do thinking just somebody somewhere should do something about this problem. Nehemiah thought, somehow I am going to take whatever it is, anything I've got so far from God, I'm gonna use that and offer that to be part of the solution. And by the way now, he's living with purpose greater than himself and that is really living. I just read a a study that says purpose in life is tied to a 22% reduction in strokes, makes you 2.4 times less likely to get dementia and produces a reduction in all-cause mortality and a boost in longevity. So what's your purpose? What are you living for? After a lot of prayer and planning, Nehemiah approaches his boss, the king. We said last week, he went to him and he said, may I go back and rebuild the city? He gave it to him really clearly what the job was. And the king says, yes, and yes to what he needs. And so begins this amazing journey, all because Nehemiah believed that the one that he prayed to, the one he often called the God of heaven, could use him to do something miraculous on the earth where the need was great. Which brings us to today in the second half of chapter two. And I want when we, when we read in this through to notice so that we can be ready when it happens, how as he sets off on the new opportunity, there is opposition. Nehemiah chapter two, verse 10 says, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that somebody had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Let's pause there. These guys are gonna show up a lot in the weeks ahead because here's what we need to remember. Whenever you set out to do something great for God, you're going to get opposition. Some people will be disturbed and upset and come against you. Why? Because they like it just the way it is, thanks. They like the status quo. And you can bet it's because when everything stays as it is, they continue to benefit in some way. You can't please everybody. It's a very important lesson, but so hard that we've had to learn it over and over again. The Apostle Paul was just living his life and doing everything that he could to tell people how amazing Jesus is. But when you follow his life, you can see he faced opposition at every turn in just about every city. He he once wrote to the Corinthians and he, he said, please pray for me because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. The two go hand in hand, you see, opportunity and opposition. That's why we often give up because we, uh, we, you know, before we even got started, we find how hard it is. 
Anytime God leads you to do something, somehow, somewhere, to make some difference, anything that looks like an act of faith, something generous, something that benefits others, something that's going to make a lasting difference, expect opposition. Spiritual resistance and opponents and obstacles will come and try and slow you down or stop you before you can gain momentum. All through the Bible we see it. Adam and Eve are working for God. Satan himself comes to oppose them because he knows he can't beat God, so he attacks them. Pharaoh faces Moses. David fights Goliath. Jesus had so much to battle with. Herod tried to kill him when he was a baby. And then there's temptation from the devil before his ministry starts. Opposition from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Jewish leaders, all the way through. And then Judas betrays him. The list goes on and on. And Nehemiah had these guys, Sambalat and Tobiah. And we'll soon see others join in who come and combine together and oppose his work in the weeks and months ahead. And listen, it won't be any different for you or for me. When we're attempting to do something good, something that honours God and helps other people, you will have opportunity and you'll have opposition as you try and rebuild. If, if for your health or spiritual reasons you decide, I'm going I'm to give up alcohol, I'm going to do dry January, the biggest battle will be people coming and saying, oh, come on, don't be boring. The people don't want you to fast, they don't want you to pray, they'll, they'll pull you away with all kinds of other distractions. Some of you know this is true already because even in the past few weeks, since 2022 got started, you started to move in the direction of doing something to make a difference. You, you prayed and you planned and you thought you heard God and, and then what? You had opposition. It could be as simple as you decided, we're going to go back to church. We're going to come back to church for the first time in ages and physically be there. And then on the way there, you got in the worst argument ever in the car. And you thought, well, how can I go now and worship God when, when we're such a mess? Am I right? Or are you trying to get out of debt? You've said, you've declared, I'm going to stop spending so much and with God's help instead, we're going to pay off these bills in the next six months so we get some breathing space. Or you said, this year, I'm going to give my biggest gift ever in Ivy's first fruits offering. And as soon as you declare it, what happens? Your car breaks down or the, the boiler. Suddenly you have this unexpected repair bill. Opportunity and opposition. Or, or there's a ministry, you, you felt God calling you to start or to start, to start serving in the children's ministry. You come for the first time on day one, little Johnny throws up all over you. <laughs> or maybe, maybe you share with somebody close to you. You know what I've been wondering in the last few weeks, I'm beginning to believe at the start of this year, here's what God could be calling me to do. And whatever it is, you fill in the blanks. What do they say? No way. Ridiculous. You can't do that. They shoot it down in flames. They say, why would you even try that when you, you've messed up so many times before? What, you know, what do you do when you get that kind of opposition? I'll tell you first thing, don't be surprised. Secondly, don't stop. Because when there's an open door of opportunity, there'll also be opposition too. When you take a step of faith, the enemy will push back because he's scared to see you advancing. Here's what we know for sure from scripture about our enemy, the devil. All the way through the Bible, we see it, the way it works. He doesn't bother people who are not a threat. There's a time in the book of Acts when seven brothers tried to evict a demon out of a guy that, uh, that, that, that they knew Jesus and the apostles did it, so they tried to do it in their name. But the guy who was a 
uh, uh, was possessed, if you like, by this demon, said, well, I've, I know about Jesus, I've heard of Jesus, and, I, and I've heard of Paul, but like, who, who are you? Who the heck are you? And then he beat them all up so, so badly, they ran out onto the street with no clothes on. You can bet that made the news that day for all the wrong reasons. See, if you're on his side, the devil usually won't bother with you. He, he doesn't even need to know who you are because you're just walking his way and doing nothing to oppose him. He'll pretty much leave you alone because you're on the road to hell with him. You're, you're basically walking with him. You don't need a lot of help in messing your life up. Or, but if you'd say, no, no, I'm a Christian and you go to church or, or you watch online, if, that, if that's it, if that's, he'll mostly leave you alone. You're no threat to his rule. But let me guarantee the moment, the moment you start to pray hard enough that it leads you to really step out in bold faith to do something to help others and honour God, that's when alarm bells start to go off all over hell and spiritual forces are released to oppose you and stop you doing what you know God put in your heart. That's when you have to remember that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Nehemiah found and you'll discover too that the moment you step out of your comfort zone, lay it all down as you seek the God of heaven and say, I'll do whatever it takes, so, so give me something big. Hell will know your name, but that's okay because God already knows your name. And he says, every hair on your head has been counted. So don't be those who shrink back, press on. Step out. God is calling you to step up in 2022. Step out and step up. What is it for you? Is it, if you're a man, join with us coming in April on the XCC? Or is it, is it to serve, to tithe, to pray, to invite, to show love? Not just in the church, but to, the, to be the church in the world for the poor, the homeless, refugees. He's opening doors. Is it to foster or adopt a child? See, the moment you step up, you're going to face opposition. Critics, haters trying to pull you down, drag you back. Sambalats and Tobiases. But what does Nehemiah do? We're going to see this time and time again. He just gets on with it. Verse 11. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing, but because as yet I'd said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work, although they didn't know it yet. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. 
So Nehemiah travelled for about two months and finally arrives in Jerusalem. After all his praying and working on the arrangements to get, get the materials for the building, did you notice what he did first? He rested. He was just there for a while. You might, you might say he did nothing, but that's not true. He rested. He did what we should do before we work. Rest. He takes a few days to do that. He wanted to rest first, then he would work. And during that time, he also wanted to ponder the problem. And he'd heard about it when it first broke him, that the walls were broken down, the gates had been burned, but he, he knew he had to go and see it for himself. He, he doesn't dive in and start telling everybody what his plan is or trying to sort it all out by himself. One night, when nobody else is looking, he goes on his horse and he has a look by himself. And he sees it really is as bad as he was told. And all these things, by the way, are great lessons for leadership. Do you think of yourself as a leader? It's time to. Here's how to think like a leader. You see, for most of history, people used to think leaders were just born to lead and you were either a born leader or not. For centuries, they, they thought that. They had a list of characteristics of leadership and they said you've either got that or not. But in the last 60 years or so, people said, no, you can be a leader if you can be taught. Leadership can be taught. So leadership can be learned. Growing up, nobody thought I was a leader, especially not me. But then I met Jesus and I wanted to grow and make a bigger difference for him in this one short life. And so I learned to lead. And it starts with learning to think like a leader. Here's what leaders do. We see it in what Nehemiah did. First of all, you see the problem as it is, but not worse than it is. Then you see it better, how it could be. And then you do something that makes it better. You fill the gap. That's what leaders do. And of course, you soon realise you can't really do that alone if you're going to make any kind of difference. So Nehemiah goes out for this nighttime ride and he saw what everybody else saw. He went out at night and he made a full, brutal assessment of the reality of the situation. He wanted to know the worst news and I'm sure it would have wrecked him again. The walls are down, the gates are burned. Now anybody could see that. It's been that way for at least 10, 12 years. People there were fearful in the city because that's all they could see. The ruins, the rubble, feeling the reproach of their enemies. But their enemies, they were unafraid and confident because that's all they could see too. They could just see the rubbish and the ruins. You don't have to be a leader to see what's wrong. It doesn't take any great insight or intellect. Anybody could say, that's not the way it should be. That's not working. See, that's just the first thing. But what's next? He also saw what nobody else was seeing. Because if they had done, they would have done something about it. He saw it as bad as it was, but then to get it rebuilt, he had to see it better. Where? In his mind's eye. He pondered and he prayed as he rode about and looking at the brokenness night after night and he started planning to see it rebuilt. Where? In his mind's eye. This is called seeing with the eyes of faith because the Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse 1 that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I love actually how the Amplified Version takes that verse and expands its meaning like this. Now faith is the assurance, title deed and confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses, and I'd say after that, yet. 
He sees a broken wall, but faith sees it a hundred feet tall. He sees so much rubble, he can't even squeeze the horse through. But faith measures the circumference of the walls, approximately two and a half miles around the city, about 220 acres, and pictures a wall here that is restored and beautiful. Stones there in the right place, strong and impregnable. How high does that section need to be? What's the best material for this part to be rebuilt? And, and there needs to be 10 gates. How many hinges? Where should we put them? How should these doors lock to keep the enemy out? Critics could see the wall broken down, but faith sees a map, a plan, a dream of what it will look like, restored and renewed and rebuilt. Everybody can see the ruins. God wants you and me to see it rebuilt. The principle here for prayer is this. If, you, if God calls you to go and pray for healing, don't just see the sickness or talk about what's wrong. Start worshipping God. And before you, then you start to pray from a position of faith. See what God can do. See what Jesus can do. See the person restored and healthy and whole. See in your spirit what happens when God's kingdom comes and then pray, Lord, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven as you lay hands on somebody. See, anybody can see the need. Anybody can see a problem. That's pessimism. If you can only speak about the problems and describe the problems, nothing gets better. But we learn to lead the way God wants us to. When we don't just see the problems, but we speak out the possibilities. And we say, with God, all things are possible. So here are the practicalities and this is the process. And now we need the people and the preparation to get started toward what God wants is perfection. He wants this all to be perfect and brilliant and amazing. By the way, isn't that what God always does with us? Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when I just come to him with all my mess and rubble and ruins, and when I put my life in his hands, he sees it but he also sees us covered by grace. He sees us in his son's perfection and he begins a good work in us that he will complete. God knows how bad it is. He saw it all, but he also sees a way to work out a glorious plan from the rubbish and the rubble of my life. Even if all I can see is shabby raw materials, the father sees us at our worst. Then he sees how Jesus made it better on the cross. Then he sends the spirit to restore us and make us glorious. And now remember, Nehemiah had only come to a remnant so many people have been picked off or died over the years. That was the raw material that he had to work with. And the way life has been for us in recent times, I know what it's like when I talk with people, and, you know, and, and you know what it's like for you, maybe. Some people are down and discouraged, maybe beginning to feel like, I don't know if God is with us because this happened or, or that didn't happen when we needed it to happen. So like the crowd who gathered around Nehemiah, I'm sure when he looked at them, I can imagine faces of people looking like, I don't know what we're doing here. I don't, know, I don't know if we could ever actually accomplish this. How could we build it like it used to be or, or even better? Nehemiah gathers them, the people, the priests, it says the nobles, the officials, and I picture them scared, exhausted, feeling like failures, believing what the enemy's been telling them. It's hopeless. Why would he even begin? Why do you even start? But in the next few weeks, here and in our grow groups, we're going to see how they were transformed and how they do the work. And as they do, the miracles happen when they play their part, when everybody plays their part, when they step up because Nehemiah stepped up. And I, I now know that he has to pray again before reaching down somewhere way in his soul and his spirit because he's only human. He probably looks again at the size of the problem and the few faces of the people around him. He doesn't even know, is it, is it actually going to be possible? But I believe it is going to be possible 
And he speaks to that. How do I know that? Because I've done this so many times with all the changes and pains of life in the last while. I know there are times when you just stand up and with whatever mustard seed of faith you have, you speak it out and you try and pass that on, hoping some other people will get it about what gets you and what you're, you're just praying it will get them too. But you have to say it to yourself first. All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God and then you tell them Nehemiah doesn't sugarcoat it he doesn't put a a spin on this he tells the truth to them about how bad it is he agrees with that but he doesn't just say I've come to solve this for you he says you see the trouble we're in you see that's telling the truth too he's not sweeping it under the rug what burdens him what ought to bother them you see the trouble we are in and he's looking around for people who see that too, who are going to get it and who are going to volunteer and get involved. Yes, it's a mess and it's going to take a miracle. Jerusalem lies in ruins, its gates have been burned with fire. But then what does he say? So come on, stop waiting for somebody. This needs everybody, everyone who believes this shouldn't stay this way. All of you people of the one true God, let us rebuild and we will no longer be in disgrace. And he says, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. He's building their faith. And then they say, yeah, come on, come on, let's get to work. And so they began this good work. They got started. A lot of the time, just getting started is most of the victory. That's what we need to remember, Ivy. God's gracious hand is on us. No matter how hard the task, how tough the opposition, God is with us. And when we get started on doing what he calls us to do, he has his hand on us. The God of heaven is working. He is for us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He's empowering us, equipping us, going before us, opening doors that we don't have the power to open. He's giving us favour. Our God is with us. So Nehemiah reminds them, God's gracious provision, protection and blessing so far. I want to remind you of that today. Change your focus. I'm out of time, but if you read again through to the end, you'll see these opponents came and at the end of the chapter, Sambalat and Tobiah were joined by an Arab called Geshem and they're all jeering and laughing and mocking and saying, well, it can't be done. It shouldn't be done. You, you won't do it. You can't do it. What does Nehemiah do? He just keeps on going and he replies, oh yeah, yes, mate, we will do it. The Lord will help us and the only part you're going to have in it will be missing out and locked out on the other side of that wall when it's built. With the Lord's help, we are going to rebuild Ivy this year. We're going to reach more and more people in more ways than we have ever done before to help them and help them find their way back to God. Because right now, everywhere we look, the walls are down, the gates are burned with fire. None of us can do much about that alone. That's why we're called to do this together. So I want to end with one line I've said to myself many times, and then I'll finish with a famous quote from a former US president. Here's mine. Don't let those who say it can't be done get in the way of those who are doing it. Or as Roosevelt said it better in a very famous speech, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood.
who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, because there is not effort without error and shortcomings, but who does actually strive to do the deed, who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Let's pray. Lord, people's lives in this world that you love are in ruins. May we not miss out on what you want to do. Whenever we start wondering or doubting, when somebody says that what you said can't be done, shouldn't be done or that we can't do it, help us do what Nehemiah did and not focus on the opponent or the opposition or the obstacles, but focus on you. You're the God who gives us success, the one for whom nothing is impossible. So we pray in the name of the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God who makes galaxies, does miracles, even raises the dead. Nothing is impossible. So we declare that you will give us success. You will give us success. You, the God of heaven, will give us success. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.